If you could create one powerful change at work, what would it be? Would you change the way oncologists view your role and develop a successful head and neck cancer program for patients before, during, and after their treatment? Maybe you would change the way your clinical director values your services and gets them to approve funding for tools and continuing education the same way they fund PT and OT. Or maybe you would change the way oral care and thickened liquids are managed at your facility and be the reason behind reducing rates of aspiration pneumonia thanks to the protocols you implement. Whatever the change may be, I have good news. You can make it happen in the next six months. You're invited to join the Changemakers Collective, a strategic mentorship program starting this June. I'm looking for medical SLPs who want to make some serious change at work or in their community, the kind of change that has a ripple effect. Throughout the six-month program, you'll develop a tangible goal and receive step-by-step guidance to achieve that goal. Don't have a specific goal in mind yet, but know that something needs to change. Our mentors can help you iron out the details. This includes 18 group mentor calls for advanced ASHA CEUs, templates, a private community, and high-touch support for high-level goals. Go to www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers to learn more. Again, that's www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. And I'm so excited for the part two of our episode with the mentors from MedSLP Education. Um, And I just love and adore each of these people. And I hope you really enjoyed the first part of this episode. And it was jam-packed with a lot of information, tidbits about mentoring in general and just experience. And I know that you'll enjoy part two just as much. And the uh, MedSLP Education Certification Program is currently open for applications for our next cohort starting in September. So if you're interested in checking that out, please go to medslped.com to check that out and apply and see if it might be a good fit for you. But uh, the MedSLP Education Certification Program is for any SLP that's just seeking more solid foundational knowledge in the medical field specifically. Uh, So we have a lot of courses. All the courses are available to purchase just one off if you're not interested in the certification. But if you're interested in joining the certification program, Uh, you do get mentorship by some amazing, amazing, amazing SLPs. So for this episode today, I wanted to bring them on. You know, I think what's interesting about the topic or or the the word mentorship is it has so many different meanings, right? And it can be loose, it can be formal, it can be very structured, it can be unstructured. And something that was so important to me with MedSLP education was to make sure that we had mentors that really, truly understand what it's like to be an SLP in a medical setting, um, in a hospital, in a in a rehab center, doing outpatient. Um, so these mentors were selected based on their experiences and also just based on feedback from mentees that they had in that their mentorship style was so helpful, so productive, and gave them the results that they really wanted in seeking out a mentor. So um, I really wanted to get them on here to talk to you. And hopefully, you know, if you're someone that is a mentor or you want to get into mentoring, hopefully you can take some feedback from them. Um, because these are some really experienced mentors, and I am so grateful and appreciative of all of them. So I hope you all really, truly enjoy this episode. I, I love getting to work with them, and I'm so honored to have them on this episode. Uh, so our first guest is uh, Dr. Lori Burkhead Morgan. She earned her PhD in rehab sciences from the University of Florida in 2005, focusing on applying exercise science principles to communication and swallowing rehab. During nearly 30 years of clinical and academic endeavors, she has developed an expertise in evaluation and treatment of medically complex patients. Dr. Burkhead Morgan is a published author and sought-after speaker on the topic of dysphagia, medically-based speech pathology, and exercise science as it relates to dysphagia. 
Our second guest is George Barnes. He is a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders who has developed an expertise in dysphagia management, focusing on diagnostics and clinical decision-making in the medically complex population. George yearns to make education useful and quality care accessible. With a passion for food and a deep appreciation for the joy and connection it brings to our lives, he has dedicated his life to helping others enjoy this simple but deep-rooted pleasure. And third, we have Isabel Lawton. She's been a practicing SLP for more than 10 years, has worked with patients across the lifespan from NICU to geriatric care in a variety of settings. She specializes in acute care, dysphagia, brain injury, disorders of consciousness, professional issues, and patient advocacy. She's passionate about teaching and mentoring, having recently served as an adjunct professor at a local university. And our last but not least mentor for this episode is Jessica Wynn-Gregor. She obtained her bachelor's in speech and hearing science at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign 2008 and her master's in speech pathology at Rush University in 2010. Over her career, Jessica has worked in a variety of medical settings at prestigious healthcare systems and the VA. She holds her board certification in swallowing and swallowing disorders and has also served on that mentorship committee from 2018 to 2020. Jessica is currently a mentor for the MedSLP Education Program, has been faculty of the Florida Dysphagia Institute, and an international trainer of McNeil Dysphagia Therapy Program since 2019. She is presently the oncology swallowing specialist at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona, in the Department of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery. She has a strong passion for the field of swallowing diagnostics and intervention, as well as multidisciplinary collaboration for optimal patient care. Jessica has established a multidisciplinary dysphagia board, as well as multidisciplinary swallowing clinic with her ENT and GI partners. Her primary research interest is the oral pharyngeal and esophageal interplay. And again, I'm so grateful to have all of these four wonderful people on this episode. It took forever to try to get us all uh, in one spot at the same time, but I'm so glad that we did. And I'm so grateful to all of them. And if you're interested in learning more about the MedSLP Education Certification Program, please head to MedSLPEd.com. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. So so next question, I'd, I'd love to really just, I don't know, dive into some real feel-good examples if we can, obviously, you know, keep your mentees' privacy in mind. But you can think of just, you know, we all say we love when the light bulb goes off, you know, or, or someone comes to the answer themselves, or they have a real success story with a patient that you help them through if if you guys can think of any any of those, I, I always love to hear those stories and share those stories because I think for anyone that's discouraged about not being able to find a mentor or not really wondering if it's worth the time, investment, you know, whatever it is, um, I would just love to share some 
some stories about it. So Isabel, if you have one. I have many, but I guess if I'm forced, I will just provide one example. Um, <laughs> I have so many great ones, but I think one that always sticks out in my mind is it was a student mentorship situation, but this was an extern and we were down in the modified suite doing MBSs. And at my facility, we have high volume, like we've done as many as 12 in one day, which I know seems bananas, but it happens. And so um, it was one of those days where it was just really busy. And so um, we were kind of about halfway through the term. So my student was independent enough to kind of be providing the um, barium and sort of progressing the study. And I'm in the back really watching the uh, monitor and taking notes and what have you. And so we had a patient come in and we're just aspirating like everything and we're trying strategies here and there. It's not working. And meanwhile, my red text, like you have three lined up in the hall and you guys are in a minute and a half of fluoro time. Like, what are you going to do? And so me, because I'm in this role where I'm having to think about the progressing my patients along, I sort of step out of the clinical role and think about like, okay, well, we've tried a bunch of things. We're just not going to be successful here. Like time to call it. Right. And I'll never forget this because I tell my student, okay, I think, you know, we've tried just about everything. And she like takes a big breath. Like she's like, go, I'm about to go for it, you know? And she looks at me and she goes, you know, I think I'd like to try the straw one more time. And so she grabbed the straw and she did a little head tilt with the patient who was having some complaints of some, you know, weakness on one side and wouldn't, you know, like no aspiration, no penetration, nothing. It was perfect. It was beautiful really easily facilitated. And so this patient now had means and we didn't have to drop a feeding tube. And it was such a valuable moment for me. But what she told me later is she said, Isabel, I have not felt comfortable enough in the modified suite at any of my other placements to ask to try something. I just do what I'm told to do. And so she thanked me. She said, thank you for creating a space that allows me to get creative. And I said, thank you. I was about to get this guy out of here and make an MPO and drop a cork back in his nose. And he's he's going to be thanking you because now he can eat something. And so it was just a really beautiful moment where we both benefited from giving each other that support um, and trusting each other to make a decision based on the learning that had already taken place. And it ultimately benefited our patient, which was just, you know, the prize, right? So anyway, I have like 30 more like that that I could share, but I think that's the one that's kind of popping out right now. And if uh, she's listening, she knows exactly who she is. Thanks, so I'll just talk about the um, some of the good wins from the cohort that I was taking care of this year. And so there were some job interviews and, you know, getting the job and then also preparing and looking to get, you know, um, bumped up to a, a higher position promotion. And also um, looking to, you know, their they're at their facility and they really wanted to spend more time in a certain other, uh, you know, doing outpatient swallow studies. And it's really hard to come by. They figured out a way, you know, time and time again of meeting and talking with the group on how to get and ask for that mentorship to sneak away and be able to do more of those types of studies and exposure there. Um, and uh, starting programs, various programs in the hospital and dealing with a very difficult issue with a physician or a surgeon that they come across, um, how to advocate for their patients being able to get X, Y, and Z. You know, there were so many uh, accomplishments of the group, aside from keeping them on top of taking their coursework, 
uh, for the certification and also just dealing with the day-to-day for a lot of them working. You know, the various issues that come up with, you know, colleagues and supervisors and um, productivity. I mean, you name it, I'm sure everybody here has has dealt with those. But those were a lot of the the wins that I was really proud of that, you know, they accomplished and they also felt like they had a work group. So everybody's checking in with each other. And then some of them got married. So it's like, how's, how was the wedding? You know, everybody, it became a good close knit group and people were highly supportive and it was, it was just a really big success. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Thank you for, I think these are both brilliant examples of fostering that supportive environment, right? You know, in, in a container where you feel safe to sort of be vulnerable. And, and like you said, Isabel, go ahead and ask for it. Or just like you said, just just say, hey, I, I want to go for this. Can anybody help me out and guide me along with that? And that's not something that you can just find in a research article. You know, I think so. That's a great example of really marrying the art and the science of, of what we do. So thank you guys for those examples, George. Yeah, this um, this cohort in particular was uh, really successful in a lot of different ways. Uh, one, very, very similar to some of the examples that Jessica's bringing up, one SLP got her first job in a medical SLP setting. Um, another SLP was able to implement a, a program that she was working on for a long period of time. Another one was able to pitch the idea of doing uh, mobile fees in the hospital and has been successful in doing that. And so uh, many different uh, accomplishments that I was able to, to witness and to, um, to, to help in whatever way I could. And, and the most exciting part was that I wasn't the only one sort of celebrating with everyone. Everyone was was in it with each other. And so when someone would get a big win, they would post it or they'd bring it up during one of our calls. And you can sense that everyone was on board, right? It's like everyone supported each other. They were all so thrilled to to just be a part of something where everyone's trying to make a difference, right? Everyone has their own thing in their own area of the field, but everyone's trying to push forward, to push and push and push. And that I think is what this is all about because it's not an easy thing to do. As a speech pathologist in a medical setting, we all go through a lot of difficulty making changes, making productive and positive changes. It's really, really hard to do. And sometimes just having that sense of support and a bit of guidance and a bit of, you know, keep going, keep going, try this or try that. Um, just give someone that extra effort and that extra oomph to, uh, to really get it done. And it, it's awesome that in such a short time period, so many people were able to accomplish so many different things. Awesome. Thanks, George. Lori? All of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought in a bow, Lori. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the, um, med SLP ed group that I had, um, we had a really fun group and we, uh, there were times that I would take a little bit of a, not a complete break, but I would, I would kind of like throw in like bring your favorite cocktail night and everyone had to bring the favorite cocktail and share the recipe or, um, or different things like that. And, and tried to keep it very, um, you know, just very, very, uh, relaxed in that. People would show up however they are. Um, when we first started, no one would turn on their camera. And I really need that visual 
interaction to connect and to know I'm talking to a human. I just can't, I just can't do no faces. And so I started requiring people to turn on those cameras and the, you know, one, one person was like, Oh, I just got off of work and I look terrible. And I'm, and so I started showing up in a baseball hat, no makeup, because uh, that's generally how I run around most days. But, uh, yeah. So just again, going back to that disarming thing and, and helping, uh, people, believe in themselves. And, um, I had one mentee in, in the most recent group who went for her PhD and kind of built that confidence to move forward in that direction. Um, I have to say in all of my years mentoring, I think the thing I have enjoyed most is when I can instill in, in my mentees that confidence to go out and not be afraid to just speak up, um, not necessarily advocating for things they want or need, but advocating for the dissemination of knowledge. Um, for example, with my graduate students, I tell them when they get done with my dysphagia course, you know, you might, you know, because of the information you've gotten, and it's all the newest information um, and the volume of information I throw at them, um, you might go into your, your um, externship and know more than your supervisor about dysphagia. So in the way that I'm mentoring you about not being afraid to admit what you don't know and to try to present information in a way that's non-judgmental but inquisitive, um, go out and help spread this information and do it in a humble and and you know, generous way of, I've got this information. I'd love to see what you think about it. And I'd love to share this with you. And because of that, um, I've had some students, as a matter of fact, just this past week, um, a student had her mentor, they apparently got into a conversation about a particular diagnosis group. And the uh, mentor said, my current student encouraged me to reach out to you. I hope it's okay. Um, do you mind? And I, here's what I'm doing and here's what I've been told. And do you have any other ideas? Um, and so I think that rather than someone going to get mentorship and just kind of gleaning onto this, I think you have to pay it forward and, and to um, help the mentees understand, hopefully by modeling that you can do that in a very humble and respectful and collaborative way, not, oh, you shouldn't know this. So again, as a mentor, I can model that and then they can go out and do it too. Um, because, you know, it's, it's that whole motivation why you do what you do, Teresa, is that people don't have time or resources to find the most current information. So if we're not afraid, um, and we have a disarming style, um, to humbly share information with each other, I think that's going to keep our, for our field moving forward and sharing resources. You know, the MetaSLP Collective, I learned this, or I have this information and it's all at your fingertips. And, um, being able to share resources, information, I think we have that as a responsibility. So I think all of us are mentors in one way or another, even to people who have been in the field longer than us or who know more than us or who might be a direct supervisor. We can mentor and introduce information in a way um, to them. So we're really all kind of mentoring each other, going back to what all of us have said about collaborative two-way street. And just on the tails of that, um, I cannot tell you how many times I've recommended a resource that I got from the MetaSLP Collective, and it was something entitled like, how to share the evidence with your team. So basically trying to advance your, your yes. 
colleagues and your department on what you're doing. Well, we're doing it this way because this is how we've always done it. Or they have a very firm belief in the way that they've been doing things, you know, old dogs, new tricks, or just clashing of the minds, very good, solid resource. So thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I had, when I was in my doctoral work, I had a mentor of mine who once told me, she said, um, Speech pathology seems to be the only field where we go after our own young, like we eat our own young. <laughs> and I, I, I sadly see that. I see that in Facebook groups of, um, that are, you know, based in our field where people are supposed to be exchanging information. Someone says something, they get attacked. Um, somebody gives a presentation somewhere and someone talks about it and attacks them. I think that has to go away. Um, we have to be, more collaborative and more open. So, you know, I think that that's a great resource, Jessica, and and everyone needs to look at that and understand tactics to be able to share information. But I think we need to stop eating our own young. (laughs) Um, We need to stop attacking and making people feel less than, because when we, when we allow that kind of behavior to continue, people are less and less willing to reach out to mentors. Thanks, Lori. Yeah, thanks, Jess, for chiming in, too. Yeah, I I love what you keep saying, Lori, about disarming. I I think that's such a powerful word, and especially in this instance. Like you said, there's so many people that are afraid of mentorship because they think it might have this weird power dynamic. And, you know, I love that you guys all reiterated it's it's really a partnership. And, you know, how can I learn from them? Or how can I, you know, even if I don't know the answer, how can I help them get the answer? How can I help them pull it out of themselves? And, so thank you all. Those are, those are wonderful. Um, yeah. So won't keep you guys all night. Would just love to hear maybe one, you know, one final thought about, about mentorship, whether it's, you know, if, if someone is, is struggling, has had poor mentors, and I don't, I don't like to use the word poor mentors, maybe didn't have a, the best mentorship experience in the past, you know, how would you encourage them to, you know, move forward or maybe, look in the mirror that maybe they didn't bring enough questions. Cause I think that's something too, that is, is tough is, is it, is it a two way street? It's a partnership, right? And, and we need our mentees to show up with questions and show up with thoughts just as much as for, in order for us to provide the answers. Right. So yeah, if, if you could chime in on that, Isabel. Absolutely. Um, Gosh, I feel like there's a lot that could be said about this. I'm sure everybody's mind is running with all the things that they would say. Um, but I think to specifically sort of discuss the idea where you maybe didn't have a positive mentorship experience or are hesitating and seeking that mentorship for whatever reason, I think if we can all just remember to find common ground, because something I've learned over the years is that when people get really heated and passionate about things, it's because they care a lot. So gosh, wouldn't it be great if you could both get to the same place about why you care so much about that thing? And if you can get to the root of that passion, right, or of the high feelings, that high intensity, I think most of the time we find common ground. And at the end of the day, a lot of it, a lot of times, it's particular when it relates to patient care, is we want to do the best we can for our patients. It's just the approach that differs. So if we get to brass tacks and we say, we're both wanting the same thing here, how can we get to that place together and come from a place of humility, like Lori has said several times, it becomes a lot easier because then we can see that we both have the same goal in mind uh, and we can use our collective strengths to help 
ourselves get there, our patients, the patient's families. Um, so my advice would be to, you know, anytime you maybe feel frustrated in a situation or things are not going, the communication or the interaction is not going the way that you intend to really think to yourself, what, what are we really trying to do here? What are we trying to get at? Like, what, why are the feelings and the emotions so high or why are they not there at all? Has this person, why is this person so jaded? You know, whatever emotion it is that's surrounding it, let's find the root of it and then try to come up with some solutions from there. And then I think in that work of breaking down sort of the barrier, you find opportunities to connect, you find commonalities, maybe shared interests. And so when you come from a place of mutual purpose and you both are sharing that goal for that patient, it becomes a lot easier to become partners. And I think that's where the mentorship can really begin in a, you know, kind of a complicated dynamic like that. Beautiful. Thanks, Isabel. Jess? I probably just have a, a final thought rather than answering that question. But so what Lori was alluding to with, you know, like got to stop eating our young and, <laughs> and that's probably why they're, you know, so hesitant to reach out in fear of just getting their heads ripped off uh, or someone jumping down their throat and being like, why don't you know this or whatever, making them feel stupid or less than, of course, that's. but there's also a flip side to this. So there's, um, I just got finished interviewing a ton of clinical fellows. And so meeting and talking with um, young people uh, who have just graduated school and came from some great schools, had some great education and definitely very, very gung-ho, ready to go. And I, I was in a similar place. I mean, I can speak from experience. I had excellent schooling. and I felt really confident to start my clinical fellowship. And I think there's, there's, you know, I think the humbleness or humility of just knowing that you don't know everything, especially just out of school, but you can bring a lot to the table. That's a very important aspect. And having uh, mentors at that time, not just your clinical fellow mentor, but everybody on that team and everybody, your current, you know, professors that you still can keep in touch with, treat everyone like they can have the opportunity to be a mentor for you. Cause that's huge. I hope I'm making my point, but just that on the flip side, it's very important that young people go into the field and just think, how can I, how can I gain information, knowledge, support, guidance from everybody I encounter? Because at one point, you might have to tap back into them and they could be a really great resource for you and have that mentality approach or else it's a it's a real big shocker real fast when you start that you're going, whoops, uh, you know, and you don't want to come off a certain way. So just important to get that mentorship. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Yeah, we, we talked about that actually a lot in my healthcare leadership classes about humble confidence is what they called it. And, you know, knowing that you, that you do have a really good skill set and you might have had a really good education, but you might not have ever been in some of these specific high pressure, really medically complex cases. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that's something that isn't talked about much. So thank you for bringing that to light, Jess. George. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think an important question to ask is what the, what mentorship means to you. So what are you, what are you looking for to begin with in, in a mentor? Where are you in your career? Are you, have, did you just graduate and you're just looking for help and support and guidance? Or are you working on something specific and you need feedback or an extra set of eyes and someone to kind of guide you through that one process? 
or is it something that you want on an ongoing basis? And, um, you know, you, you need sort of that career guidance to get you where you want to go. Uh, I mentioned in the beginning of this, um, in the beginning of this podcast that, you know, I have my own mentor now. I didn't really even consider it before I started being a mentor myself. I kind of saw mentorship in this uh, sort of isolated, you, if you need support, you kind of uh, get one particular person that might be able to help you with that. But for me, I've always been, I've always prided myself on being a very independent person. And so I always thought I'll go out and look up the information myself or find out this myself. But it is mentorship is really about kind of getting out of your own head and finding opportunity and utilizing strategies that you never would have heard of or thought of, finding new tools and resources and networks that you never would have known even existed before if you did not find someone either in a particular area that you're unfamiliar with or just someone that maybe has no experience at all in speech pathology, which is the case for my mentor, and just can kind of give you that extra fresh perspective on your problems in order to kind of give you professional guidance that can lead you in the right direction. And so I do think it starts with that question. What does mentorship mean to you? What are you looking for in a mentor and and who who are the possible options for that mentorship and what are the possible programs that you can seek out? Because obviously there is more than one option and, you know, seeking out the one that's right for you and the one that will give you the most support directly to, to fit your needs, I think is is really um, is really important to finding that person that's right for you. Thanks, George. Lori. I think an important thing to remember is if you don't have a, a mentor you have a great fit with or that you're really not getting anything out of or maybe they're trying to gain something from you, don't be afraid to move on. Um, I have had a fabulous mentor, and then there was one particular mentor I had more in my mid-career doctoral training um, situation that did not – help at me at all. <laughs> um, so the good mentor that I had is someone I still have a relationship with. Um, I um, started out as just a rotating student going through um, her department. Um, we developed a really good uh, working relationship. And so she asked if I could, you know, do another rotation with her and, and we still are friends and, and, you know, it's funny. She, I had gone on and gotten my PhD and done some research and published a little bit. And now she, she says to me, now it's, it's so rewarding when the student now becomes the mentor. Um, but I still look to her for mentorship and, uh, we, she lives in Boston and, and I live in Georgia and she and I get together at, at ASHA or DRS and, and it, it's a really wonderful relationship where we encourage each other professionally and personally. And, and it's fantastic. The not-so-productive mentorship uh, experience I had uh, later in my career um, was someone who, if I ever struggled, there was never assistance. It was judgment or we'll just keep working on it or why don't you go talk to that student who could probably help you work it out. And taking things I had to offer, and so it wasn't a, one, a two-way street. There was like sort of taking from me and then not really ever giving back and 
would would have a, a not a welcoming, disarming relationship, but one where I always felt like I was on pins and needles or walking on eggshells. And so I wish I had sort of got rid of that mentor and maybe replaced that mentor. Um, and I didn't. I didn't know kind of how that all worked in that scenario. But it definitely did not help me. Um, and I think in ways it even kind of held me back. Um, so don't be afraid that if you have a mentorship relationship that is not working, if you try those tactics that Isabel said, try to find that common passion, try to find, you know, what are we working on here together? What exchange of, of knowledge and information can we have together? And if, you, if you've tried that and it's not working, move on. Um, because as someone who has had a what I believe to be a model mentorship relationship with the person from my grad school um, experience and then having one that wasn't so desirable of an experience, I can say it can make or break. Um, And I, you know, I was able to move on and shake it off and move forward, but I could see where that would, it could really hurt your career and really hold you back. Um, So don't be afraid to move on if the mentor is not a right fit. Thanks, Lori. Yeah, I think that was that was a good follow up to George's point about you know being sort of aware of, of what sort of mentorship style you desire, and and I think you know I think what's interesting in this field is sometimes there it's just not going to be a good fit, right? It's just it's it's a personality match mismatch, or I, I think mm-hmm. sometimes people try to find these big dramatic reasons as to why it didn't work out, and sometimes it's just not a good fit. Yeah. And it's not to say that person couldn't be a great mentor for somebody else. Right, right. That right. they're not wonderful professionally. It's just a, a mismatch, like you said. Yeah. yeah. But I want to just add on to you really quickly. I'm not to state the obvious here, but I think it's really important too for people to realize your supervisor isn't necessarily your mentor, right? right. That's different. The person who is responsible for signing off on your competencies and making sure you right. show up to work on time and signing your clinical fellowship, that person isn't necessarily your mentor. So it's okay to seek out additional support other than the people that you're assigned to. Because a lot of times that's arbitrary. It's that that happens to be the only person that's available to do that particular task. Um, so that distinction is really important. And um, I'm not sure everybody realizes that, you know, you think, oh, well, this person's assigned to me. I got to make it work. And to Lori's point, you have to work with that individual, but that the person does not have to be your mentor. They don't have to influence how you choose to practice and to carry yourself and how you push forward in your career. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And if I can just piggyback on that, Isabel, it's a great point. Also that you don't have to ask the person to be your mentor either, right? The mentorship doesn't have to be a, you know, will you please be my mentor for six months? But it can, it can totally be the type of thing where you just ask a quick question on an email, follow up a couple of times and then say, Hey, I would really love it if we can talk over the phone regularly a couple of times and you, you know, no pressure because, um, we said in the beginning, all of us are very supportive. Um, speech pathologists are a tight-knit field, and we want to help however we can. But sometimes if someone gets an email out of the blue and says, will you please be my, my, be my mentor, and we've never heard from you before, that's sort of a scary email. So, you know, knowing that everyone uh, wants to be there for you, but to a certain capacity, 
and knowing that that there are certain people that we can reach reach out to for mentorship on formal and informal levels. It doesn't have to be a sort of five-year commitment to dedicate to one person. And I think, Teresa, that might be why some people kind of shy away from mentorship to begin with. Like, oh, no, no one would have the time or I feel bad asking this person. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be much more informal and much more of a, a kind of short-term thing. And just in case somebody is uh, assigned to uh, a clinical experience and they really can't do much about it, uh, that does happen during your master's program. Um, and so just, you know, try to find the positive in the whole situation. You're still having clinical experience. You're still learning. But at least you can learn what you don't want to do that your supervisor does or something like that. You know, you can you can take the positives and the negatives and still benefit uh, from that time together. Everything is a growth experience. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I I think that could be a whole other podcast episode, Isabel. Thank you about really the difference between <laughs> supervision and mentorship because it, it is, you know, I think of supervision as as a job. It's it's a job title and mentorship is much more abstract, sort of what you what you alluded to, George, and that it it doesn't have to be this defined container. In some situations it is, and in some situations it's very informal and fluid. Um, and, and I think just having that awareness, like we've talked about, of, of what you're looking for, what situation are you in? You know, is this a formal situation that you may not be able to get out of? Is this something that's really so painful that it is a, a mismatch that you do want to try to get out of? So um, lots, lots of questions to ask ask yourself, really. And, and I think that's something that everybody that is an SLP learns the hard way. I think we're not really taught in grad school Oh, you know, have these, have these self-awareness skills and know what you're looking for in your career. And, and it's not talked about much. So, um, thank you all for bringing all of these points, perspectives, thoughts to the forefront. I have the utmost respect for each and every single one of you. And I know that all of your mentees think the world of you as well. So thank you so much for giving your generous time, knowledge, experience, and really just paying it forward to the, to the field of medical SLP. I know it's so much better for it. So thank you guys so much. If, Anybody have anything they want to add or? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so, so much. And that's our wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.